Um, Well, welcome to Horizon. It's good to see you. Today we're continuing on through a book of the Bible called uh, Fifty Shades of Solomon, right? Uh, Because haven't there been some steamy moments? Like, holy cow, there's been some verses that would make Hugh Hefner blush, right? It's been a little, woo. And then it's exasperated by the fact that Chad is the one reading them to us. It's like Mr. Rogers reading you a steamy romance novel. It's like, hello, neighbor. Let's talk about making love. Right? Like, it's just this weird feeling. Um, but here's the deal. Is that in the Bible, God, <laughs> God wanted to give us <laughs> all that we needed to live lives of holiness and happiness. And for many of us, not all of us in 2023, but for many of us, that includes this topic of physical intimacy. So it's, in, it's important to talk about. Okay, and where we pick up today in Song of Solomon, we're about halfway through the book and we're at this pivotal moment where Solomon and his bride are both engaged in this beautiful budding marriage and right smack dab in the middle of their honeymoon, God shows up. Like he just pulls open the curtain, okay, and he says, this is good. This is so good. And his words are better than mine. He says, eat Oh, friends, drink. Yes, drink deeply, oh, beloved ones. He's like your grandma telling you to finish that last sip of milk in your cup. Like, drink this. It'll make you a big, strong boy, Ryan, right? Like, this is good for you. That from the very onset, God is saying, hey, in your marriage, if you'll put me smack dab in the middle, even the most intimate of places, your marriage will flourish. You see, friends, God designed marriage to be the place where a man and woman, husband and wife, give and receive romantic physical affection, affirmation, attention, and pleasure. That marriage is where pleasure goes to grow, not where pleasure goes to die. And I know some of you are realists, because I talk to you here in the hallways eating bagels and coffee. And I know some of you are thinking, okay, Ryan, um, I'm enjoying this, but unlike old Solomon, I've been married for longer than three days, okay? So I'm no longer giving my wife's breasts nicknames. We've kind of moved past that stage in our relationship. Um, so some of this can feel a little, little naive. Am I, am I allowed to say that in church? Well, no, you're not, but I'll let it slide um, this one time. But I'm with you, okay? Becky and I have been married 20, going on 21 years this December. And there's been a few times where I'm hearing this great wisdom from God on marriage and intimacy. And I'm, I'm seeing it here, and then I'm looking at our marriage. And I'm like, yeah, not, not so good on that one. You know, on that one, it's, it's been about 10 years. And I don't even know what that one means, right? And, and I start to think like, oh, gosh, this isn't good. Um, and maybe you, you're feeling similarly, but I, I want to um, encourage you to think about something. That here in Song of Solomon, God is giving us the picturesque, perfect, ideal picture of physical intimacy in marriage. And he's saying, hey, this is the bullseye. You ever played darts? He's saying, this is the bullseye. Aim at this. Okay, just, just aim at this. All right, so if your marriage may be 30, 40, 50, some of you 60 plus years of marriage, which is amazing, um, it isn't maybe matching up with the bullseye of what we're seeing here. Um, I, I think that's okay. Uh, but I would also say, like, if you're throwing darts 
in your marriage and in this realm of physical intimacy, and you're no longer hitting the board, you're hitting like the cat, um, <laughs> you might want to stop and say, well, what are we aiming at anyway if we're, if we're struggling so much here? Might we improve our marriage if we aim once again back at this, again, picturesque, perfect, ideal bullseye God gives us? Could we take our marriage from a C to a B, a B to an A, and A, a to like an A plus maybe? Who knows? Um, well, I think it's possible. And, and what we'll see here in our text today um, is that God's going to give us three bullseyes that we can begin to think about and focus on um, in our marriages. And they're, and they're going to follow this rhythm of, Solomon and his bride noticing and mentioning, noticing and mentioning. And it'll start on the outer skirts of their relationship in the public realm that anybody could have seen. It'll move into the private realm that's more of a, you know, a, a private conversation. And then, of course, it's, it's Song of Solomon, so there's going to be the, the intimate realm as well. But there's this back and forth noticing and mentioning that's going to play out like a dance today where one of them will share and then the other will say, hey, it's my turn to share. And, and they'll tag in. And then the other will tag back in. And you see this beautiful, mutual, participatory wedding uh, turning into a beautiful marriage. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to behold. But we start with Solomon's bride, the Shulamite here. Chapter 3, verse 6. She says this. Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? With all the merchants' fragrant powders. Behold, it is Solomon's couch. And here you might be thinking, well, is this Solomon on his couch? Um, well, well, in the Hebrew, they have feminine and masculine um, grammar. And this is in the feminine. So we know it's her on his couch. With 60 valiant men around it, of the valiant of Israel, they all hold swords, being experts in war. Every man has his sword on his thigh because of the fear in the night. And friends, here she's remembering that moment where Solomon sent a couch for her to bring her to their wedding feast, this seven-day wedding party. And it might have looked something like this, right? This ornate couch being carried through the desert by these armed men. And that's not even 60 men, so it would have been a bigger, grander um, entrance. And she's remembering... Um, She's noticing how he's treating her. She's noticing, hey, he's, he's serving me, right? Like he sent this grand couch to bring me. And, and hey, he's protecting me. He sent 60 armed men. And, and hey, he's treasuring me like the queen that I'm about to become. And, and she's just taking it all in. And I love that first verse where she says, who is this? Like it's almost one of those like pinch me moments, ladies, you know, where she's like, who am I, you know, to deserve this fairy trail treatment going on? And as you think of this first bullseye, um, think of the, the things you notice about what people do in your life. Like do, do you notice what they do in the big ways, like sending you a couch and 60 armed men, and in the small ways, which are more day to day. And I think this noticing and mentioning, just in case, you're like, hey, I'm not married. Like, I think it applies to all of your relationships. Okay, so know that. So how often in your house do you hear phrases flying around like, hey, thanks for filling the uh, dishwasher tonight. You know, or, or hey, thanks for taking out the, the garbage. I, I don't like taking it to the curb and you do that. Or, or hey, hey, thanks for changing that diaper, right? Because we, we both know it was a blowout. 
And we both heard it. We both kind of sensed it. We looked at each other in terror, thinking like, you do it, no, I do it. And then you jumped on it, like covering a live grenade. Like, hey, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks for doing that. Um, that. That, friends, if we'll notice and mention in the small ways what people do in our lives, especially our spouse, it, it'll go a long way. Chad introduced us to this guy last week, a guy named Dr. John Gottman, who's a uh, relational psychologist who studied marriage for over four decades, thousands of couples. Um, and he came up with this ratio, a five-to-one ratio. For every one negative interaction or feeling you have with your spouse, so a, a word said, a, an eye roll, a shrug, um, even like disappointment, where one of you um, wanted intimacy and the other didn't, it was just a rough spot, um, that it takes five positives to counteract that. Five to one. And I think that applies to a lot of our relationships. Um, and what they discovered is that at a 94% level, they could predict within nine years who would still be married and who wouldn't based on where they were in this ratio. So if they're at the four, five to one, then they were very, very likely to still be married in nine years. And if they're more at a two to one, zero to one ratio, they're very, very likely to be divorced within nine years. Um, so the things that we notice and matter, even the small things, um, mean a big deal in our marriage. And she's going to continue noticing old Solomon and his arrival now to the wedding. She says, of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a palanquin. So what's a palanquin? Is it like a cousin of a penguin? Uh, no, it's, it's this. So a palanquin was like a big Easter egg that they would create. It was ornate. Um, they would use it to carry around important people. Um, and this one, it says, is made of pillars of silver, its support of gold, its seat of purple, its interior paved with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. And here she goes from noticing what he's doing, the small acts, the big acts, to noticing who he is. She's saying he's the king. He's got this tricked out palanquin with silver and gold. That thing must have weighed 5,000 pounds. Um, and, and it's going from what people do in our lives to who they are, like statements of identity. And here's what I mean. Imagine in your home, okay, you, you come home and you're like, honey, thanks for picking the kids up from like three different practices tonight and, and then making a great dinner and, and helping with homework. You're such a good mom. <sighs> right? Like moms, like how often, as soon as your kid can talk, they're telling you you're a bad mom, right? Your 18-month-old's like, bad mommy, bad mommy. You know, and that's the soundtrack in your head. Um, well, well, fellas, what would it be like to affirm that identity of you're such a good mom? Well, or ladies, it's date night, okay? And, and your man, you, you go out to uh, dinner and a movie together, you know, and, and she leans across the table and she says, this is so romantic, Dave, so romantic. You're, you're such a good husband. Right? Because we hear, I think, as fellas, this narrative in our head that, like, hey, you don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. And if she can affirm to us, no, this is who you are. And she knows our flaws, right? She knows all of them. We know hers. So we're, you believe them when they tell you because they know all the junk, too, in your life. Um, so she's noticing and mentioning what he's doing. She's noticing and mentioning who he is. And then she's just going to brag, okay? She's going to brag on her man a little bit. Um, she says, 
go forth, O daughters of Zion. So again, kind of that imaginary crowd that's listening and see the king Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. And here she's just bragging on her man. She's like, hey, ladies, check out my king. He's got a crown and a smile on his face because he's married to me. <laughs> check it out, right? She's bragging on him. And how often do you brag on your spouse in public, right? Like, like how do you talk about your spouse to your, your family when they're not around? Your ladies, how do you talk to your spouse when you're with your friends about your, your husband? Fellas, same thing when you're with the, your guy friends. How are you talking about your wife? Like, are you, are you bragging on them? Well, I think we should be. So let's move to the second bullseye. So we're moving now from the public realm where uh, she is leading the conversation of noticing and mentioning. And now we're going to shift to the, the private bullseye here. The bullseye to learn to notice and mention privately. Solomon says this. He says, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. And it might be easy to think here that it's like up here is like very attractive and down here is like really ugly. And he's saying, hey, you're kind of fair. Um, but think instead, think instead like when the handsome knight charges into the castle to battle the fire-breathing dragon. And who does he rescue? A fair maiden, right? She's beautiful. She's desirable. She's worth rescuing. He's saying, you're fair. And he's about to start listing all the things he loves about her physically, okay? And let me warn you, you're going to lose some of this in translation from the day of Solomon to 2023. You're going to lose quite a bit of it. Um, so what I want you to do is I'm reading it. I want you in your mind to try to create an image of what this fair lady looks like, okay? Because she's got very distinct characteristics tied to her. Again, he says, you're fair, my love. Behold, you're fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. All right, I got to read it with some sultriness here. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. And your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers. All shields of mighty men, and your two breasts, well, they are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle which feed among the lilies. Right, are you getting the picture here in your mind of what she might look like? Um, well, here's, here's like... like like, that's what I'm hearing. She's got goats for hair, sheep for teeth, a neck like a tower. Um, I don't know if you can read I love the bottom. She was a strange-looking girl, but Solomon loved her. <laughs> well, does she really look like that? No. Uh, well, how do we culturally unpack that? Well, let's take a look at a few of these words. Um, so what does it mean that she has dove's eyes? See, like, I love your tiny, beady little eyes, honey. You're so beautiful. No, the dove's mate for life in the vast majority of cases. And he's saying, hey, when I look into your eyes, I see our entire lives. Right? Like, that'll work, fellas. Write that down for Valentine's Day. Um, 
And then what about this goat hair, right? I think goats are smelly and stinky and loud. Um, certainly he's not saying that about her, right? Uh, no, back then goats were a sign of wealth and affluence. And he was the king, so he had thousands of goats. And he's saying, hey, when one of my flocks is running down Mount Gilead and the goats then were black, it is like this luxurious look of your hair when it falls on your shoulders. And then what about these sheep teeth? <laughs> But he's saying, your teeth are white, which couldn't have been the norm back then. And, um, and, and they're twins. They match. Your teeth all match. You don't have a snaggle tooth, honey. And, and none is barren among them. You have all of your teeth. Like you got every one of your teeth. You're so beautiful, right? Um, and he continues, your lips are like a strand of scarlet. And red lips are still pretty popular, but he's saying yours are nice and thin, <laughs> uh, which must have just been a beauty standard of the day. And then what about these temples that are like a pomegranate? Well, well this word here in Hebrew temple isn't just here, but it's your cheek area as well. Um, he's not saying the inside of the pomegranate. That'd be like the worst case of acne ever. Um, <laughs> he, he's saying the outside of the pomegranate where it's red, orangish. He's saying your cheeks are rosy. And, and what about this tower neck thing. What's going on here? Is he like, honey, you have the neck of a Sasquatch. And I love it. Right? Like, don't use that one, fellas. It will never work. Um, no, he's saying, he mentions his, the Tower of David. It's a picture behind me here. The one on my, uh, my left, your right. Um, he's saying, hey, your neck is like a tower. It's, it's tall and it's um, sophisticated and it's cultured, right? That stands above kind of everything else. And at the time, necks were a sign of virtue. And if they're bowed down, it was a sign of shame. And he's saying, you are noble. You have a neck like a Tower of David. And then what about the breasts here? <laughs> um, well, he's saying, hey, your breasts are like two fawns of a gazelle, which if you've ever seen these, they look very similar to baby deer, okay? So if you've ever seen a little baby deer prancing near the road and thought, it's about to die, um, <laughs> they look very cute and innocent and pure, right? And these ones are eating among the lilies, these white flowers. So he's saying, hey, your breasts are pure and innocent, right? Well, what's the, what's the big takeaway from this? Like, like, what's the takeaway from this second bullseye where he's naming all of these parts of her. Well, I, I think it's that we're meant to affirm our spouse's physical attributes, like literally. That as you think of this morning, we've gone from this outer bullseye of noticing and mentioning what they do, who they are, and now he's going to notice what she is, quite literally. And he's going to say, baby, you are fine, right? He says fair, but 2023 translation, you are fine, you got it going on. Like I've, I've made a list of all that I love. I've checked it twice and I am all in, right? That's what he's saying to her. And I know it's kind of like, can feel like an unfair comparison because you're like, you know, when I was on my honeymoon, I could have came up with some really good romantic poetry as well, Ryan. Um, but 30, 40, 50, 60 years in, maybe not so well. It's kind of apples and oranges. Um, and I would agree. But how did you talk to your spouse when you were dating? Do you remember when you're dating and the compliments just flow like uh, candy at a 4th of July parade, right? You're like, I love your hair. No, I love your hair. Oh, I, I love your smile. No, I love your smile. 
Oh, oh, you've got the most beautiful eyes in the world. Oh, no, I don't. You do. Right? And everybody else is like, this is so cheesy, you know. (laughs) And then you don't see them for like a week and they come in and you're like, honey, honey, you have a new freckle on your ear. I've never seen that freckle before. It's so amazing. I just want to, I just want to nibble on it, you know. And everybody else is like vomiting. This is so gross, right? Um, Well, then you're married for five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, some of you. Um, And your wife can come home with like a Mike Tyson face tattoo. She's like, hey, honey. And you're like, honey, there's something different. Can't quite put my finger. Right? We go from like throwing out compliments like candy at a parade to like the well has dried up. Right? The creek has stopped running. Um. Well, I think what God's trying to teach us here in Song of Solomon is that our spouse needs to know that they are physically desirable to us. Not just on our honeymoon. Anybody can do that. Um, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years into marriage. Um, I remember in uh, 2019, after my, my dad had passed away, and by this point both of my folks were gone and were going through all of their stuff. So you do this. Some of you have been there, of course. And we're putting you know, military papers here and life insurance stuff here. And, and eventually I stumble into this cigar box of my dad's. And I discover that inside there are notes. Some letters, some small, some even written on like a post-it. Just, just the correspondence between husband and wife over the course of a 40-plus year marriage. And at first it was kind of cute. <laughs> and then I started stumbling into some notes that I was like, Oh, wow, that's the holy cow, right? Like, it's like, hey, last night was amazing. You know, hey, let's do this. And and 18-year-old Ryan would have, like, thrown up in his mouth, like, oh, my gosh, this is disgusting. I can't. But mid-40s Ryan found even a little bit of encouragement in it. Like, how cool to think that that my parents were in love for 40-plus years. How, how cool to think that for 40-plus years um, they still desired one another. How, how cool to think that for 40-plus years they were living this Song of Solomon life in certain ways. Again, not perfectly, but in certain ways. And it gives me hope, right? It gives me hope for my marriage for 20 years in now. But what about 30, 40, 50, right? It gives us hope. So as you think about this bullseye in your marriage and how you can notice and mention privately, um, well, how do you grow there? Like, how do you get better? Um, well, I'd encourage you, like, if you're at an F right now, <laughs> hey, raise your hand if you're at an F. Now, if you haven't said a positive thing to your spouse in, like, 10 years about their body, probably don't jump to, like, Solomon, okay? Because <laughs> it's going to go bad. You're going to be like, honey... Uh, your, your breasts, yeah, yeah, they're like two porcupines um, crossing a UDF parking lot. Is that working? Nope. Um, start small. Just start with your wife comes home with a new haircut. I love your hair. Recall the past. Hey, I love your eyes. My wife has beautiful green eyes. And I remember then when I first met her, like, what a beautiful encouragement to her. I love your eyes. Or, or honey, I love that new dress. Or, or, ladies, tell your husband, like, hey, that new shirt. I'm rocking a new shirt today, so I'm dropping this for Becky to hear later. Um, <laughs> that new shirt, it fits you so well. Hubba hubba. Woo. 
right? Like see if you can begin to kind of flirt your way in your marriage a little more back towards that bullseye when it comes to physical intimacy here in the private realm. And that takes us to our third bullseye, which is, of course, intimately. And Solomon is going to continue the dance here. Um, He's going to speak. He says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Here he's saying, hey, let's, let's stay up all night together. Right? Like, let's not even sleep. Yeah. Yeah, you remember your honeymoon? Maybe you had thoughts like that. You're like, let's just stay up all night. This is going to be amazing. Twelve minutes later. Right? Right? Like, no, they stay up all night. And there's that, you're fair again. And he says, there's no spot in you. And this spot word is for blemish. And in the Old Testament, it's used 18 times talking about sacrifices. He's saying, hey, there's no blemish in you. And what's beautiful here is we know that earlier she's expressed some, some body um, concerns she has about herself where she feels inadequate. And he's saying, no, you are perfect. There's no blemish in you to me. And then he continues. He's going to invite her along. He says, come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. With me. There's the repetition, right, from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains and the leopards. And here's this invitation, friends, in a book that's very physical to say, hey, yeah, we are going to become one as a, as a body, but we're going to become one as a story, right? I want you to leave behind your story there in Lebanon, the fears of it, the lions, the mountains, and I want the two of us to start a new story together, Again, that's good. You guys should be writing that down for uh, Valentine's Day cards, fellas. Um, He says, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, one link of your necklace. And I love this word, ravished. It's like carried away. I couldn't stop it. Like, uh, Like, do you remember being ravished? by your spouse when you first like met them and saw them across a party and you're like, man, I like that. I'm going to go talk to her. Or ladies, same thing. Do you remember when you started dating and just the sound of his voice made you weak in your knees? Like, oh man. You know, and he pulled you in for that first hug, maybe a little smooch in your knees. Just like, oh, I can't hardly stand. Right? Like, that's ravished. Do you remember on your wedding day, fellas, when doors just like that popped open? And that beautiful God-given creation started walking towards you. And you're just like, just hold it together. Just hold it together, Ryan. Don't cry. And and then I start crying. This is what he's talking about. He's like, you ravish me. There's such pure beauty in this between husband and wife. And I think it can make us a little uncomfortable as Christians. You know, the Song of Solomon and all this. Um, But but a great book came out that does this wonderful job of... uh, Comparing sensual to sensuous. Okay, and sensual is that we're controlled by our appetites. Allowing your appetite of arousal to operate without boundaries. So this is the idea of like, you are just controlled by your urges. There's no boundary. There's no fireplace for that fire. There's no flower pot to contain it. It just runs rampant, right? And then sensuous is being alive to pleasure, in tune with your body and alive 
to the sensations. I mean, did you ever think about the fact that, like, God didn't give us these sensations on accident? (laughs) He didn't create Adam and Eve, and then he's, like, watching them one day, and he's like, holy cow, it looks like they like that. (laughs) Didn't know it worked that way. No, like, he totally planned it, that it's this beautiful gift between husband and wife. And though our world is very sensual, within the fireplace of marriage, we're free to be sensuous totally in tune with our body and the senses. And he's going to start laying out the night, okay? And and I'm just going to read it. (laughs) I'm not going to give a lot of commentary because your imaginations can take over. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse? How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices? Your lips, oh my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up and a fountain sealed. And here he's describing that she's waited for this night to share with him. She hasn't shared it with another. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna with spikenard, Spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. And here he's just laying out this tapestry of luxurious, velvety senses and words. And uh, the five senses, right? You see these sights and these sounds, and these tastes, and aromas, and it's just this beautiful, elegant night that he's describing between the two of them. And as the dance continues, she's going to speak. Because again, this is a a full, mutual buy-in from the two of them into this love. They both have agency in the relationship. Um, They're both enjoying it equally together. And she says this, she says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south, and blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. And here she's inviting him into the intimacy. And I imagine as the two of them lay there arm in arm and the sun begins to rise in the east over their love, Solomon just can't help himself. He's going to speak one more time. He says, I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. And I think, friends, what's going on here, it's a microphone, is Solomon is sitting there with his arm around his bride, and he's just going, Wow. <laughs> wow. Holy cow, that was nice. Right? And he, he starts with this kind of garden metaphor that they've been using for their love and their bodies. And then I think he's just like, he loses words and he just starts combining good, luxurious ideas together. <laughs> right? He's like, that was like myrrh and spice and taking like honeycomb and honey and then wine and milk, right? Like he's just so, so overwhelmed. 
That'd be like today, you trying to describe it, and you're like, honey, that was like eating like graters while petting a dolphin, right? Like it's just so, so amazing. I just don't even have words. Like, like friends, that's the gift that God has given us. And, and right smack dab into this, in the very middle of the entire book, Song of Solomon, God shows up. And he's about to speak. And he pulls open the curtains and he says, Eat, oh friends. Drink, yes, drink deeply, oh beloved ones. He's saying, this is good. This is so good for your marriage. This is so good for you. If you'll put me at the center, your marriage will flourish. Even in the most intimate of places. Because I think with physical intimacy, it's easy to get it wrong, to be distracted. In our world, um, there's really three ways that it's viewed. That physical intimacy is either God, that everything is about this. This drives everything. It's every movie, uh, video, story. It's just all this world. You know, and I think that's our culture and our country for sure. Or over here, physical intimacy is guilt. It's bad, right? And I remember all I learned about this growing up in my church was just don't do it till you're married. And I'm like, well, what is it? Because I was a curious young lad. And they're like, don't worry about it. You know, you'll figure it out on your wedding night, like a duck to water. Just, and I'm like, we've reduced this beautiful thing that God's created to a two-letter word with no definition. <laughs> it. <laughs> that it's not dirty. The third option is that it's a gift. That God says, hey, just like salvation, you don't earn this. I give it freely to husband and wife. This is a gift from me. Put me here in the center of your marriage, even in the most intimate places, even when it feels awkward to talk about at church, um, and your marriage can flourish. So today I want to encourage you to do that, to take a look at these bullseyes we see in Song of Solomon. Um, be brave and start to refocus again and see if you don't see your marriage start to improve in little ways. Again, either it could be an A to an A+, plus, um, but test God on this and see what he does. Let me pray for us. Um, God, thank you for this book, Song of Solomon. And man, I confess, it's a, it's a tough one um, to talk about sometimes. But I also know that this can be a large part of our lives while we're married. And I thank you for the wisdom. I thank you for the gift of physical intimacy. Um, I pray you give us courage to have these conversations with our spouses. Give us courage to notice and mention in every part of our, our relationship, Lord. So we thank you in your name. Amen.